Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsythe, and I'm joined by Mike Howerton, of course. And we've got some pretty interesting news for you this week, along with a great guest. Uh, we're going to try and reach Buddy Hall a little bit later in the show and chat with him. You do need to remember that we are sponsored by OB1 Shafts, great new shaft with the marvelous new technology. I'd like to have you try that out. And by our new sponsor, Border Billiards. Go to borderbilliards.com for all your billiard needs. You can buy cues and balls and cloth and just anything you need at Border Billiards. Mike, we had uh, some news coming out from the Philippines this week which is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I don't think you can really say that it's good news. Um, you know, we've talked on this show many times about how the pro pool scene, at least for the men, seems to be coming out of uh, Asia and Europe, the Philippines. Uh, I guess it wouldn't, wouldn't take long before there started to be a real power struggle over there. I mean, we saw it late last year with the whole Alex Paggy Lyon situation. And, and this whole story that surfaced this week has even gone back and alluded to the Alex Paggy Lyon situation. So that whole problem didn't go away. It's, it's re-reared its ugly head. But here's the story as we know it. Um, a consortium of managers, including Bugsy, Puyat, Jonathan Sai, and Edwin Reyes, which is basically every manager in the Philippines. And they represent all the big players. Oh, yeah. Efren, Bustamante, Alex, uh, all of Bugsy's players, which is almost every top player that's not Efren, Bustamante, or Alex. <laughs> Um, Edwin yep. Reyes uh, represents one of the, the hot junior players over there. Um, they have announced the formation of the BMPAP. Lord knows the billiards industry doesn't have enough of those initial organizations. Yeah. Uh, this group is the Billiard Managers and Players Association of the Philippines. So they've announced their formation. They've quickly announced that what they're doing is for the players. They're representing the players. They say that all the players are are happy with the news and they're backing this organization 100%, although none of the players have come out and made an official statement saying that. Right. Um, the bit that I found the most interesting in their press release, and they've put two press releases out so far, is in both press releases they say that they are not an organization that wants to oppose what the BSCP is doing, well, when you consider that the BSCP is putting on the world championship, I guess you wouldn't want to oppose them. Right. Um, but they say while they're not opposing this group, they want the power to decide which Philippine players are representing the Philippines in all the major events over there. They say they are willing to, quote, lend, unquote, their players to the BSCP. They've made it very clear in both press releases they're willing to lend their players to the BSCP. There's a big difference between lend and lease, and I hope they really mean lend, because if they start making demands on promoters around the world for appearance fees, uh, this could go negative pretty quickly. Well, it seems like it's, it's heading in that direction. Um, the BSCP hasn't come out and made a public comment on it yet, but... 
while this player organization or manager organization was making their announcement, the BSCP was announcing their plans for 2008, including a six-stop San Miguel Asian pool tour in Manila, Jakarta, Taipei, uh, various places in Asia. And that's Ken Ball. Right, right. Now, we had heard, remember when we talked to Jay Helfer, we had heard a little bit about this organization, and there was the possibility of an event here in the States, but there is certainly nothing in this press release about anything in the States, which makes me wonder if this isn't another example of a major organization that's treading very lightly over here, wanting to know what's going to happen with Tim Dennis and his NACPBA. It could be, although I do believe uh, we have a friend in California who is working uh, with the Filipinos uh, to possibly bring an event uh, to a town in California, although it's kind of a long shot at this point. Well, I'd sure like to see it happen. Um, I mean, all we have from any organization so far are promises and I'm sure Johnny and Rodney and Earl and all those players know that you can't pay the bills with promises. Um, Jerry, what's your read on this whole thing out of the Philippines? It sounds an awful lot to me like the same thing that happened about seven years ago when the UPA was formed. Well, I hope I'm wrong because my gut tells me uh, that people took a look around and saw that a lot of the power in the sport of pool in the Philippines uh, was in the hands of Raya Sport. Uh, which is the promotion group that uh, put on the World Pool Championships, and they're the driving force bet- between behind the new uh, Ten Ball Tour, as well as the Ten Ball Championship coming up this year. Now, Raya does not itself have a stable of players. They've had the stance that they don't think they should have a stable of players because they can't be unbiased in promoting pool if they have a stable of players that they have to promote. Well, I'm sure at first that the managers found that this was all good stuff. But I wonder if some jealousy is rearing its head here because of all the attention that Raya is getting on the world stage and these managers aren't getting any. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's not that kind of power play. I hope it's more of a um, benevolent players union uh, that will work with uh, Raya and other promoters to uh, improve the game for everyone. It does seem strange that they're forming out of nowhere and quickly saying that now that we have all the players behind us, although the players haven't spoken up, it will be our responsibility to to choose which players are invited to major events. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the situation with the BCA and the UPA here in the States, where the UPA has the power to choose which U.S. players go to some of the major international events, but that's a power that's bestowed upon the U.S. or the U.P.A. by the B.C.A. That's not a power that the U.P.A. formed and said, "Here we are. Now we'll let you know which one of our players can do what." It, it seems a little strange. Well, it is. I mean, it all comes from the W.P.A. The W.P.A. gives the slots to the local organization or the country organization like the BCA, and then the BCA could pick the players themselves, but it's easier for them just to use the UPA rankings. And, of course, there have been 
allegations in the past that the ranking systems have been changed at the last minute to get some players into international competitions and leave other players out. I have no idea whether that's a valid complaint or not. The problem in the Philippines is if these managers tell BSCP, we are the UPA of the Philippines, and you are going to use our rankings to send players to international events, um, well, then we have to know how they determine their rankings. Well, and another troubling thing is, like you say, there were already allegations in the past of funny business going on with the UPA, and I don't by any means want to get into a conversation of whether that happened. Nobody has any proof of whether that happened. But Right, right. I mean, there were allegations that it happened with the UPA, and the UPA had no monetary interest in any of those players. These managers all have monetary interest in these players. Right. It's truly a shame. I mean, we see so much positive happening over in the Philippines, and I really, really hope that this whole organization who represents what over there doesn't do a lot of damage to a lot of positive things that seem to be happening over there. Right. Well, at this point, we don't know. But we do know that we're going to keep our eye on it. Oh, and, and you can bet that this is not going to be the last thing we hear out of this one. Oh, no. What's going on in the rest? of the world. Well, we moved from the Philippines to the Netherlands. Uh, the House of Billiards in the Netherlands held the ninth annual, I'm sure I'm going to brutalize this, the Open Weird Nine Ball Tourney. I assume that's the way it's pronounced. Um, this event happens every year and it's, it's huge over there. I mean, just about every top player in Europe attends this event they had over 200 people, and, and they do it with qualifiers leading up to the main event, but it's a huge event over there. Um, and as usual in Europe, I mean, you, you think you know all the top players, and you think when you see, I mean, when you see a field that includes Nils Feyen, Ralph Suquet, uh, I mean, every top player over there, just about, you expect that a certain group of players is going to contain the eventual winner. Uh, right. It was no surprise that the event was dominated or on the men's side by players out of Germany, but what did surprise me was that it was won by Christian Reimering. We don't, we don't hear a lot about him over here in the States. No, but you know, I've seen Christian play in world championships, and when he is hot, he is really, really hot. He can play with He's the first player that's ever, in the nine years of this event, uh, won it two times. So he's obviously got the credentials. Uh, Reimering won it on the men's side. Uh, Wendy Yans went, won it on the ladies' side. Uh, and they also had a 10-ball challenge match, and that was between Nils Feyen and Ralph Suquet. Ralph Suquet won that one 13-4. You know, Ralph is having himself a real nice beginning of the year here. Yes, and generally when Ralph's years start out well, they stay well throughout the year. Um, if you look back at the last five years, you can almost look at how Ralph did at Derby City and tell how well his the whole year went for him. Well, it could be a good sign, and it's certainly not a bad thing to have another player out there grabbing some of the headlines whose last name is not Van Boning. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a little curious. How did Daryl Peach do? Um, I don't believe Daryl Peach was there, which 
which makes another major event that Daryl has not attended since winning the world championships. So, so we have to talk about it. We heard at Derby City that Daryl Peach has gotten a sports agent, and the sports agent will not allow him to compete in events unless he is guaranteed a certain amount of money, an appearance fee or whatever you want to call it. So what that's resulted in is Daryl's paying this guy a lot of money to keep him seated at home and not making any money at all. Yeah. Uh, now, this agent that he's hired is a former snooker agent from, I mean, I was there for the same conversation that you had, and yeah. I think he comes from that background in thinking that there's that much money out there. I mean, part of the reward from winning the World Nine Ball Championship is the events that you are invited to over the next 12 months. There's easily another fifty to 75000 in purse from major events where you're guaranteed, even if you go to and out, that you're going to make some money. But Daryl doesn't seem to be cashing in on any of that. I know he may be the first world champion in a long time not to make any money off of being a world champion because he went a route that he was advised to, to, to go by getting a sports agent, and it has really backfired on him. I did notice that uh, they have announced the formation of a GB nine-ball tour. That's a Great Britain nine-ball tour, and they have Daryl Peach's name all over that. So, I mean, it looks like he is lending his name to some things, and he is agreeing to come out and appear in some major events. But uh, from this side of the pond, it sure looks like he's shooting himself in the, f in the foot on a number of these things. But then again... You know, neither you or I won the World Nine Ball Championship. I don't know. If I won that event, maybe I'd sit home and, and watch Benny Hill reruns all day. Perhaps. What else you got? Well, you know, we talked about another player uh, gaining some headlines whose last name isn't Van Boning. All right, let's have our, our usual weekly What Did Shane Win segment. Uh, let's see. Shane won the main event at the Music City Classic. That was the 17th through 20th at JOB's. It's 21 years now they've had this event. They always schedule it right after Derby. Huge event. Um, well, huge event in comparison to other events over here in the U.S. They certainly didn't draw 200 players, but... Shane won the main event. They also have a $500 entry single elimination Midnight Madness event. Shane went ahead and won that. You know, he was there, so why not? Um, the ladies' event, normally dominated by Helena Tornfeld and Monica Webb, both of those players decided not to show up this time. So Ooh. Sarah Rousey won the event. Now, Sarah usually goes to this, and she did well. Sarah's on a little bit of a mini roll after she uh, took Monica apart in that Action Report Challenge match in Derby. Yeah. After that weekend, uh, the big event last weekend was the season finale for the Great Southern Billiard Tour. Uh, that's Shannon's tour. Right. Big news out of that one: the winner's name was not Shane Van Boning. Hey. I mean, don't don't worry. I mean, Shane's not destitute or anything. They, they held a big ring game. He won that, so he can afford to get to the next event. <laughs> I'm yeah. Sure, he can more than afford to get to the next event. Um, big story in this one was Larry Neville. He lost to Jesse Middlebrooks early in the tournament, and Jesse Middlebrooks had an outstanding tournament, um, finishing in the top four. But 
Sparky Farrell took the hot seat, and Larry Neville came all the way through the one-loss side, beat Sparky 15-3 to in the finals. So Neville was their player of the year. I guess it was only fitting that he went ahead and won the season finale. Well, good for Larry. And the last bit of news that I have is a press release that we received from the BCA. There has been a lot of talk going on for the last two or three months, and the BCA finally came out and made it official that the GenerationPool.com 9-Ball Championship, formerly the EnjoyPool.com 9-Ball Championship, formerly the BCA Open 9-Ball Championship. Which was never an Open, it was always an Invitational. Right. Uh, that will be held June 12th through 14th. It will not be held alongside the BCA Amateur Event in May. Instead, it will be held alongside the BCA Trade Show in Charlotte. It'll be a 32-player men's and a 32-player women's field. Now, we had heard that there were problems with the WPBA not sanctioning an event with less than 48 players and everyone has played nice and what will happen is a 64 player WPBA event will kick off at Smoke and Q Billiards in Charlotte and then when they get down to 32 players they'll move it over to the BCA trade show. Uh, there's no telling how the ladies are going to adjust to a completely different set of tables and I certainly hope they are the same table manufacturer. I assume this then is, well, no, I don't know. Is this going to be a classic tour stop? I guess it will be because it's televised. Yeah, it appears that way. They've also announced that the Hall of Fame induction will take place between the men's finals and the ladies' finals, which will leave that whole announcement. Well, actually, I'll leave it to you. Uh, what do you think about that? I have to agree with our friend Mike Pinozo at Billiards Digest that the Hall of Fame induction should be something more than a halftime show. Of course, I also believe that the Hall of Fame should exist. It should have a Hall of Fame where people can go and celebrate the great players of the game. And of course, we know that the BCA Hall of Fame does not exist. It um, is in on paper only. There is no physical location for the BCA Hall of Fame. I keep hoping that some organization will come along with the strength to actually install a Hall of Fame and you know, collect memorabilia from all the great players before it's gone forever and um, have something that fans can come and walk through and, and uh, celebrate the game and the greats of the game. Well, you know, the, the comment that comes to mind when we discuss this is every other major sport out there uh, I mean, the big four that that all the other sports hope to aspire to, uh, and then golf and bowling, which a lot of people like to compare billiards to. I think the biggest difference is the average amateur golfer who goes out, I don't know, I, I don't golf, but I mean, I guess someone who goes out two or three times a month and golfs, they all know who Tiger Woods is, and they know who Phil Mickelson is, and they watch golf on the weekends. They follow the pros, and, and I think bowlers are the same way. You know, the the bowlers who go out and bowl every week in their local league, uh, they know who all the top stars are. But your average billiards fan who goes out and plays once a week or twice a week or plays in tournaments, they know who Earl is, they know who Johnny is, they know who Jeanette and Allison and Karen are, but they don't know who 
Louis Ulrich is. They don't know who Ralph Suquet is. We were in Manila, and Jay Helfert said that he had people coming up to him and saying, can I get your autograph, thinking he was Ralph Suquet. Right. So, I mean, those other sports, they have a place to celebrate those players because the amateurs are interested in going to this place to celebrate those players. And I question whether Billiard's amateur players are really that interested in going someplace to celebrate people that they might not know who they are. And you have a huge point there because we can't even get fans to come out for tournaments. How many tournaments have we been to where the press and the family of the fan, of the players were just about the only people in the stands? Well, which still makes me wonder. I mean, I understand from our conversation with Rob Johnson, I understand why the pro event was moved out of Vegas, but... That right. was the one event that drew a full house of fans. Um, and if the emails that I've received since this press release from the BCA ran are any indication, the fans are very surprised. I mean, the average fan that doesn't spend an hour of their day on the forums reading every rumor going around in the billiards industry just found out about this when they read the press release. And, and I've gotten emails from people saying, well, what's going to happen in May? Is there anything going to happen? And, I mean, to be fair, we have heard that there will be something going on in May. I mean, Mark Griffin is not going to have that event without some kind of pro draw. Yeah, it could be a pretty big something, so I wouldn't worry too much about the May event. Although even any of the rumors that we've heard do not include any females. So, you know, no. amateurs who've gone and expected the opportunity to see Allison and Karen and Jeanette, that may not happen unless one of them decides just to make an appearance. Well, that's very true. Jerry, that's all I've got this week. Well, why don't we see if we can get Buddy Hall on the line. Let me pick the phone up here. Buddy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, great. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Well, we're hanging in. <laughs> Buddy, one of the new trends in uh, professional pool these days is what, what they're calling challenge matches, where two players get in front of a camera and either play for their own money or a stake horse's money or possibly some, some prize money. And they're good bit of controversy in the industry about that because some people see it as a good thing exposing the fans to gambling which is what they say the fans really want other people say it's a bad thing because it reduces the fields uh, in competitive play down to such a small number of people that pro players can't make a living at it um, what's your feelings on the challenge match trend well uh, it, it's kind of good for the for the hardcore gamblers uh -huh. Those kind of people that uh, that really get excited when they see two people gambling, you know. But uh, I don't I don't really believe that it's going to hurt uh, pro pool. Professional pool is, is something that everybody looks forward to, and they love to hear uh, who won uh, this time, who won the Master, who won the U.S. Open, who won the Derby City Classic, who won the All Around. You know, they love to. to to know those things, and then another little tour, the Florida tour, uh, the players and stuff, they all seem to thrive on that tour. And now we're starting to get uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, exposure through the Internet, and uh, uh, that seems to be uh, kind of lighting it up a little bit. And um, 
the only problem with what you were talking about there is the I think is the internet because the internet uh, they can uh, they can kind of go with the challenge matches because uh, all they have to do is set up a microphone and start talking. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it, it seems like a a way that they could uh, really do something with Pro Pool without uh, putting a lot of money into it mm-hmm. um, with the challenge matches and stuff like that. But uh, to to really be a little more exact about your question there, um, I, I don't believe that that's going to hurt Pro Pool. We've been here too long. There's too many stars in the game. Uh, people don't want to see those people cut out. Buddy, um, you know, it seems like we're losing uh, more and more tournaments as we go. Glass City has stopped again. It used to be that promoters could run a tournament, make a little bit of a profit, and everyone was happy. But now the promoters are saying that they can't make any money running a big tournament. Um, what do you think has changed, and what do you think can change back to allow promoters to be able to do this again? Well, we need sponsorship. Uh, the promoters, uh, you know, the, the promoter is supposed to be the man putting up the money. Well, actually, in our sport, the promoter is the one that comes with the event. I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, Barry Berman. Uh, Barry Berman, he comes to the event. Uh, he has a lot of sponsorship dollars, but he's the promoter. What we need is people to just take a hold. Uh, like Brunswick could really do a lot for pool. Any of the big table manufacturers like Peter Vitale or Olhausen, those people could really do a lot for pro pool. But I can understand why they really don't, because uh, Pro Pool is not where their market is. Their market is is the home tables and stuff. What we can do is just uh, wear out some rubber. You know, the promoters are not working hard enough. Uh, they have to they have to get out there. They have to meet people. They have to expose their event to the to uh, people that would be willing to help sponsor their events. I don't really hate to say this, but a lot of, of the guys don't like for me to say this, but it's it's the truth. The girls work harder at having successful events than the men do. They'll send a forerunner out. They'll send somebody out uh, um, two weeks in advance of the event itself. And uh, those girls are knocking on doors and meeting promoters and and doing little exhibitions and uh, really promoting their event. And that's what the men need to do. Uh, they need to do the same thing. But it's hard to get them to do that. But I'm going to, I'm going to change topics on you. I'm going to switch subjects entirely, and I'm going to take you back in time. Okay. And back when the road was your calling. And you had a very high success rate on the road. You did, you did pretty well out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, people loved to be the guy taking you on the road. There were people who wanted to be your stake horse and people who were able to accomplish that goal. Who was your favorite stake horse? Who did you enjoy life on the road with the most? Calvin Carner, uh, a friend of mine from Oklahoma City. Uh, in fact, uh, to this day, 
him and Gary Bright are my two best friends. Uh, uh-huh. And they own a pool room in Oklahoma City called True Loves Pool and Dominoes. Oh, sure. They were talking about changing the name of it. I don't know if they did change the name of it, but anyway, they own to this day they own that pool room. Uh, we were very close, and we were uh, an awesome threesome. You know, Gary pitched coins better than anybody in the world. Uh, Calvin had, was the brain. Um, I played pool on the bar table. Maybe I was the best uh, in the world at that time. Uh, you know, the Bucks got to stop somewhere. I, I beat everybody, and nobody beat me. So maybe I was the best player on the bar table. Maybe I wasn't. I don't know, but uh, I know I was close. But anyway, he was uh, he was my favorite person on the road with. You spent a bit of time at a place, I believe, south of Tulsa called the Little Dixie. Little Dixie Supper Club in Sepulpa. Well, actually, I was hanging around Tulsa, and uh, I kept hearing about this after-hours uh, supper club in Sepulpa. It was uh, out on Route 60 there, and um, I think it was Route 60. I may be mistaken about that, but anyway, it was the Little Dixie Supper Club. It's no longer there, and it would open up about... Oh, Nine ten o'clock at night, and it would go till daylight, till daybreak. I started going out there. I'd heard a lot about it, and that's where I actually met Calvin. Mm-hmm. He brought one of his uh, one of his friends in to play me, Bobby Hernandez, Bakersfield Bobby. Uh, and I was a no, uh, you know, nobody ever heard of uh, Buddy Hall or anything like that. I was just a kid and. Uh, but anyway, um, I played Bobby out there, and uh, I beat Calvin out of a substantial amount of money. In fact, at that time, I think it was 1967 or 68, and I beat him out of 2800 Well, that was a lot of money then. And uh, Calvin uh, and I started, we started talking, and people would come in the little Dixie, and we'd form partnerships, and we ended up being very close and we spent a lot of a lot of our younger life together uh, on the road and and at the little dixie and just you know just being buddies well i understand that there's a story out there about one time when i think you were in the little dixie when some people came in to try to rob it and they were not successful oh well there were three brothers um i wasn't there uh, the night that this occurred, but it was, uh, it, see, the Little Dixie Supper Club was probably the toughest spot in Oklahoma. You know, tough, yeah. I mean like tough in, uh, uh, you could get uh, a knot put on your head there if you wasn't careful, stuff like that, that kind of tough. And uh, these three brothers uh, had just robbed someplace and and Buddy Stockton, the guy that owned the Little Dixie Supper Club, uh, got a message that they were on their way to the Little Dixie. Yeah. And uh, uh, we were, I wasn't there, but uh, a girl named, a woman named Lucille uh, was a waitress, and she she was the one that passed the word on to Buddy. And uh, there was, our cook's name, he had a nickname called Booger Red. Isn't that an awful name for a cook? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, 
that was his nickname. He was a little bitty fellow, but he had a hickory stick that was about two and a half, three foot long. I mean, it was, it was, he was a violinist with it too. I'm telling you, he could really handle that hickory stick. And, uh, anyway, these three brothers came in. There was a lady sitting at the, at the bar wearing a mink coat, and her name was Doris. Her husband was uh, Big Ed, a real high roller in Oklahoma, one of the highest rollers uh, around Oklahoma. But anyway, she was sitting at the bar, and this one of the brothers walked up behind her and pulled a pistol out and pointed it at Buddy Stockton and said, uh, this is a holdup, give me your money. He he cursed the guy and uh, said, you go, uh, you know, you just bad term there but he just reached down and got picked his pistol up while this guy had his pistol on him and just pulled it up and shot the guy right over her shoulder she was sitting there and he shot the guy right over her shoulder so she actually had powder burns on her mink coat and uh booger red the cook caught another one he had came out behind he had come up behind that guy and Booger Red actually beat the guy to death with a hickory stick. He killed him, hitting him with a hickory stick. And uh, the third one took off running, and he hit a pool table so hard that he moved it about six, eight inches when he hit it. But he was going out the door, and they said the last time they saw him, he was almost a sepulpa. He was running hard as he could. Anyway, uh, that's that story. And then there's another story about the Little Dixie Supper Club where there was a bunch of cowboys and stuff come in from Okmulgee, Oklahoma. There was uh, 17 of them. They come in and they were they got real rowdy and and um, they were going to just do whatever they wanted to do. And Lucille, the waitress, uh, started passing out hickory sticks. She gave a, a boy there that was a local guy. His name was Fox. She gave him a hickory stick, uh, gave another regular customer there who was kind of a ruffian. Uh, his name was Kale, and she gave him a hickory stick, and Booger Red had his own hickory stick, and Buddy Stockton had a forty-five pistol. Yeah. And they put all 17 of those guys that was from Okmulgee in the hospital that night. So they... Uh, you know, the four of those people did. There was never a shot fired, but he didn't fire his uh, pistol one time, but he cracked a few people upside the head with it, you know. But anyway, that's another story. Seventeen people they put in the hospital that night. It was a it was a late night place that where uh Indians and uh you know, all different tribes and stuff like that was would come there, and every once in a while, that fire water would get them going, and uh, I guess they'd act like they were circling wagons and stuff, or, uh, you know, it'd be sometimes they'd get wild, and it was just a rough joint. But there are some of the nicest people in the world, too. You know, that fire water gets all all nationalities uh, kind of warmed up, you know. Buddy, I, uh, <clears throat> I interviewed a player four or five years ago who went into the Hall of Fame, and he expressed in that interview that um, he was so disappointed in where billiards had gone. It was something that he did well. He expected it to be 
a much more popular game. When you look back over your career and everything that you've done, would you change anything or would you do it all the same way again? Oh, no, I'd change everything. <laughs> I'd take better care of myself. I would try to be a, a little better ambassador to the game instead of to myself. Uh, there are, uh, were a lot of opportunities that came up that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. The things that I know now, had I known when I was... Uh, when I was growing up, I might could have made a difference. Uh, maybe not, but I, I believe I could have. And uh, I made a lot of contacts and stuff when I was coming up. But all I ever felt like doing was gambling, playing pool for money, and bragging about how good a player I was, and and people bragging about how good a player I was, and all that stuff. You know, it's just you know, just the the common pool hustler is what I was. I would have changed a lot of things. Buddy? Yes? Other than yourself, take yourself out of the picture now. And over you don't know how years, many people say that. <laughs> okay. Out of, all, all right. out, of all, out of all your years, who are the three best pool players you've ever played, and, and why do you think they were the best? Uh, Mike Siegel. Yeah. He was the hardest uh, for me to beat was Mike Siegel. Uh, I'd have put Earl in there. Earl was uh, really hard to beat. Let's see, Mike, Earl, and uh, uh, I, I guess Efren. Efren. Well, Mike. But see, I don't think that Efren played as well as Mike and Earl in their heyday. Uh, I mean, when they were playing their best pool, I don't think Efren played as well as they did. Uh, he couldn't beat Earl because of Earl's break, and he couldn't beat Mike because Mike just done everything better than Everett did. And Mike was just uh, Mike was just such a good player. And when he played good, everybody else looked like they couldn't play. He's kind of like the New England Patriots. When they played good, it makes the other teams look like they don't know how to play. I noticed you mentioned uh, the top two players, and they were both American players. Do you agree with some of the media conjecture recently that the game has really become an, an Asian game and, and the best players are in Europe and Asia? Uh, I agree with one thing about that. Uh, their players are more dedicated. They, uh, they put more effort into the game, but they have uh, a greater prize. You know, their, their countries help them. Uh, there, it means something to be a top pool player in Asia, where in the United States, all it means is uh, you don't get to play in this game. Uh, the only thing you get to do is play tournaments. Uh, over there, they'll give you money to practice. They'll pay your time. They'll uh, furnish your wardrobes. They'll, uh, they'll sponsor you. They'll do this and they'll do that. And and the people, the only thing they have to do is play pool. So they practice more. They play harder. They play longer. That's all they do is play pool. Where the Americans, they still have to make a living, some of them. You know, the guys, uh, they have to rely on uh, playing pool and uh, and working and doing things to make a living and and stuff like that, where the other countries, uh, they support their players. They, uh, 
they uh they are, their players are something they're uh they're looked up to and uh like uh Efren in the Philippines the national hero you know he's uh everybody in the Philippines knows Efren Reyes and they all know that uh uh he's just one notch below their president you know i mean he just he's their national hero he's he's their man and they know that he plays pool and it's it's such a an honor to be a top pool player in the Philippines and in Japan it's an honor to be a a top player in China they've got a room full of top players in China China's probably going to be the team or be the uh country that really excels uh, in the next 10 years um but but the other countries they support their players. Let's say you were in your, your favorite room and a 14, 15-year-old kid came up to you, this is in America, and said, I'm going to devote my life, I'm going to practice 8, 10, 12 hours a day, and I want to be as good as you were and be a professional pool player, what would you tell them? Well, I would ask him if uh, if he has a rich family and if he doesn't, uh, the way pool is now, um, he probably couldn't do that because uh, he has to worry about uh, the time that would be involved for him to play. He'd have to worry about paying table time. He'd have to worry about uh, income. He'd have, to, you know, there's just too many things there to block him. Uh, I would tell him if you love the game. If you love the game, that's the main ingredient. If you love the game and can devote your time to it, then you've got a chance. Uh, me, when I came up playing pool, there was nothing to it. I opened the pool room in the mornings, and I stayed until the pool room closed at night. Uh, they gave me free pool, but I kept the place clean, rack balls, and uh, I just... Uh, I lived in a pool room, and that's how I became a good player. But they don't have that option now. You know, if you work in a pool room, you have to work an eight-hour shift, and then if you're not too tired, you can practice for an hour or two after you get through working. And usually it's free, you know. But it's it's just much harder for the American player to become a top player than it is for the other players. Buddy, uh, some of the most fun I've ever had in pool was playing on – Steve Mizrak Senior Tour. Have you ever have you heard of any plans anyone has of resurrecting a senior tour, coming up with one? Because that was great having guys like you and Varner and Rimpy and all the other guys all together in the same room playing pool. Uh, any chance that'll come back? I don't know. I'd sure love to head it up. I'd, I'd love to do it. But you got to have, like I say, you got to have help with that. I I, uh, I haven't heard of anybody uh, getting ready to do it. I haven't talked to Karen lately. Uh, see if uh, if see Karen knows a lot about it, and uh, Karen could possibly do it. But uh, I, I don't know. I would like to do it. I think I could make it work. I don't know if I'd be able to play much. I think it'd take a lot of work. Right. But uh, I'd I'd like to do that because I love that tour. I love to play with the seniors and. Uh, it was the camaraderie with the seniors is just uh, magnificent. It, everybody was friends. Everybody was polite. Everybody uh, uh, was willing to help the next man. Um, 
you know, it's just a, it was just a different, it was just different than it is out there with uh, all the 20-year-olds. <laughs> I don't know how to say that without insulting somebody, and I don't really mean to do that. I don't want to insult the younger players or anything, but they're, it's different with the older guys, the ones that have been there, the one, the pioneers, the ones that have paved the way, and the ones that are coming up now. It's just a little different. Uh, I don't believe they understand the same as the older players do. In your career, um, player organizations have have sprung up and and made promises and been around for a while and disappeared and none of the players really seem to make a commitment, a, a true 100% commitment to any of those organizations. Do you think there's somebody out there in the game today that could successfully get all the guys together moving in the same direction? Well, there's people out there that could, but uh, um, there's a lot of them out there that uh, that think they can that really have no chance. Um See, I've been playing pool for 47 years. I'm 62 now, and uh, I started playing when I was 15 years old. I've heard all the stories. I've listened to all the promises, and it's always the same story, and it's always the same promise, and it's always the same result. Uh, people say they're going to do this, they're going to do that. They start... They never finish, and it just comes and goes. It's uh, I've heard all the stories. I've listened to all the promises, and I've seen big money played at people, but I've never seen any of it last. Um, the one that I thought had a really good shot at making it go that never got the support of the players, had he had gotten the support of the players, I believe his tour would have been successful, and I believe somebody would have would have been doing it now uh, in his place. He's passed away on us now. It was Richie Florence? I think he had a really good shot at at doing something with pool. But the rest of them are, you know, they're the kind of guys when they say something, you say, "Let me see the money," you know, and uh, none of them are willing to commit to it because they've all heard the stories too. Buddy, uh, are you back in the Metropolis area now? I'm in Metropolis, Illinois. I live there now. Uh, I've been thinking about moving back to Florida, but uh, I've got a lot of roots here in Metropolis. My children and my grandchildren and my brothers and sisters, they all live in Metropolis. And I, my sister-in-law and all them, they all live in Paducah, which is seven miles from Metropolis, right across the bridge. Right, and of course you grew up there in Metropolis. I was born and raised in Metropolis, Illinois. <laughs> hey, buddy, we're going to get out of here. We really do appreciate your time. Well, uh, I, I you. hope it was interesting to you guys and to the to our fans and stuff, and and hope that everything works well with everybody. All right, buddy. Well, on behalf of Mike Howerton, I'm Jerry Forsythe, and we're saying goodbye to Buddy Hall. Buddy, thanks again. We'll see you down the road. Okay, buddy. Bye. Well, it's always good to have a conversation with Buddy Hall, uh, a great legend of the game, just a lot of fun to talk to. Oh, yeah. Um, it was good to see Buddy at Derby, and I really hope somebody does pick up the, the senior tour. I mean, I've never played in it, of course, but 
you know, I've always enjoyed following it, um, the number of players, the number of great players who are out there playing in it, and, and I'd like to see Buddy out there competing again. Uh, that's all we've got for this week. We will be back next week with another guest and more news from the billiard world. Do remember, support our sponsors, OB1Qs and Border Billiards. Right now, I'm Jerry Forsyth, and for Mike Howerton, we are signing off.